Hey, you. Yeah. Yeah, you. You got you got Bush? You definitely do. I know you do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. After using these life-changing products, you're going to want to join a Ballsack Beauty Contest. I, yeah, I said it. I said it. I'm looking out for you too because I also have an exclusive 20% off discount. Use code CHILL20 at manscaped.com. And I've been using Manscaped now for months. And I will tell you, when those aliens eventually arrived, they're going to be so damn impressed with the way that I look. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with essential lawnmower 3.0, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. I love, by the way, the lawnmower 3.0. I use that thing all the time. It's friggin' wonderful, like so smooth. This trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. And that itself has been such a huge game changer for me. Get 20% off and free shipping with code CHILL20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for your bush trimming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with code CHILL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CHILL20. It's 2021 and you still got bush? Change that with Manscaped. Everybody and welcome back to the Chaluminati podcast, episode ninety-five. Cue Jesse being surprised where this ninety-five. There it is. There no, this go. is ninety-six. Perfect. Is it? Are, oh, am I off one? Ninety-six. The mini sides were ninety-five, right? Oh, that's you are correct. We are on 96 technically because mini sode compilation was last week. Inching ever closer. Yes, ever, ever closer. Anyway, as always, I'm one of your hosts. Are we doing a special 100? Time out. Time out. Are we doing a special episode 100? I thought you claimed 100 like weeks ago. I claimed 100? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. I got all right. I got a few weeks to come up with something. (laughs) I'll Um, figure something out. Well, episode 98 is going to have a guest on it, everybody. So that'll be really exciting as well. An um, illustrious, illustrious, illustrious guest. noble guest. I don't know. I don't know. That's true. <laughs> we'll, 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 uh, I'll keep that a little surprise for now. Um, but uh, I'm joined by two co-hosts, Jesse Cox and Alex Fasciane. Hello, boys. How are you? Great. Great. Have you ever That's thought good. about like if someone listens to this podcast but doesn't follow us in anything else? And when you're like, we're bringing on a guest and it's someone we know, yeah. but they're like, who the hell is this not <laughs> important human? Like, <laughs> there's not a scientist or like oh, a ufologist. No, no, it's literally not. just like our, our dumb friend we found. Like, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk to you about Have the- you seen what the show is? You <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, just saying, there's got to be a few. That happened when we had a Dodger on, when we had Brooke on. And people, there were a ton of people who were like, I don't know who this person is, but she brought a great topic. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's right. People don't know us. There's some people that don't know us outside of this. this Wait, uh, just want to tell Chrissy Teigen's on the show. We'll, we'll, Yo, we'll right? Oh, my way. God. Home run right there. Home run. All I'm saying um, is Chrissy got to have some friends who are you know single what? and desperate. The pandemic you know is almost over, baby. Come on. 
I'm so thirsty. I could use a little drink. He's putting out a call to Chrissy Teigen, guys. Thank God she's off Twitter. Thank God she's off Twitter for this one. Yeah, God. Thank God. Uh, you don't need friends when you have people over at Patreon, though. Isn't that right, Al? Oh You're God. right. And That's the thing I like about Patreon is that they're not just friends. They're friends that give you money to continue benefits, your dream yeah. of doing what you want to do, which for me is just a road leading directly to Chrissy being on the Chiluminati podcast. So if you like <laughs> weekly episodes, if you like art every month, if you like access to all these discords, all these pre-sales for our merchandise, just there's all there's there's an insane amount of of bonuses and and cool things. If you love Chiluminati, if you love what we're doing, if you love our vibe, if you love what we're putting out there into the world, head on down. And not only that, but have you ever heard of a little something that I like to call ad free shows have you ever heard of something that i like to call minisodes have you ever heard about one every single time we put in an episode 15 more minutes of the boys chill illuminating Chilluminating? <laughs> you ever think about that? <laughs> what? Chilluminating. We've got a live workshop of that word happened yeah. before. Jerry us. Lewis's ghost came into my mouth for like four <laughs> seconds and then he, he was gone. <laughs> Chilluminating. Uh, well, thank you for that amazing show, Alex. Head over to patreon.com slash Illuminatipod. Um, all right. I'm excited today, gentlemen, because we've been talking about this for a while. In fact, you may even remember we touched on them briefly. Uh, mm. Many, many episodes Do today uh, ago. Oh, boy. This is going to be the first of two parts of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. I know. I think you both are pretty familiar somewhat, but we're going to really, really deep dive. This into is this. this is I would say, you know, I don't know where you're going with this beyond with the light story that I know in my just browsing. But to me, the Betty and Barney Hill case is like the you like area 51 like this is this is in the in the legend in the legend of aliens as high yeah. as that i think it once you once you have smoked the gateway drug of area 51 this guy's waiting behind the middle <laughs> yeah. school to give you something a little harder that will get you addicted <laughs> for life it's not a far off comparison <laughs> yeah um, of course before we get going we want to cite our sources going forward uh, the main for- source we are we will be using for this series is a book by the title of Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill Story by one of our favorite UFO authors, Stanton Friedman. He also wrote the uh, Crash at Corona book that we use for Area 51, as well as co-authored by Kathleen Marden. Uh, it's a great book by Stanton, but to, to be honest, like the, I like how Stanton, I'm just, just a critique at Stanton real quick. I like how he writes, but the dude can't keep a chronological story going to save his life. He consistently jumps ahead because he gets so excited about where it's going to go. And then he has to whiplash you back to like where we're actually into more on that later. A lot of just more on that later. It's like, well, stop, stop doing that. It's it's frustrating. Um, Alongside that book, there was also used for a source was a book called The Interrupted Journey by John Fuller, which is a complete transcription of the uh, hypnotherapy sessions that Betty and Barney went through over the years. Um, it's mostly a good if you if you want to read along with us, it's mostly a good source. But there are a couple of, of things that he does in that that I don't agree with. He basically he takes a couple of scenarios and he ends up merging them into a singular scenario when that wasn't the case. Um, something as mundane as a road trip early on that he just uses as evidence. He ends up taking two separate events that happen on that road trip and merging them into one, creating kind of this misinformation. And he does that multiple times throughout. So just that's be what I do of, when of writing that. the Chiluminati podcast. Right, exactly. Yeah. 
And on top of that, the interviews that are actually out there, you can go listen to the hours and hours of interviews with Betty and Barney through their therapy. Did you do that? I listened to a good chunk of it, not wow. all of it, because there's 11 sessions, all hours long each. So I listened to what was relevant and areas that I needed to, but there's just not enough time in the world for me to listen to all of it. Um, so the Betty and Barney Hill case is the quintessential alien abduction story. Uh, this is true for several reasons. The biggest being that this was, in essence, the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction within the United States. Another and perhaps more interesting, at least to me, reason is the event that took place would set the scene for all future recorded abduction scenarios moving forward, at least on a general level. Yeah, it's like as pervasive that, as the flying saucer as a concept. You're like, correct. I was on a road. I went up in the air. They put a thing in my butt and now I'm back. <laughs> Yeah, basically meaning that a majority of the abduction scenarios uh, with similar types of spacefaring creatures that we now know as greys seem to have similar motivations and intent, even if the methods used by these beings seems to change from case to case. Uh, on, but on September 19th, 1961, the Hills encountered something that well and truly traumatized them. Whether you believe it to be aliens or something else entirely, it was clear that the Hills had something happen to them that they'd never forget and caused so much stress and trauma that Barney, who died nearly eight years after the event, deteriorated over that time, never wanting to speak about it and refusing multiple times to revisit what happened. He died from mental eight years breakdowns. After? Yeah, he died eight years Damn. after the event. Uh, he had mental breakdowns, crying fits, and then physical sicknesses that happened to him shortly after. Whatever it is that happened changed their lives forever. So with all that on the table, this series is going to be a two-parter. Today, we'll be looking at the lives of Betty and Barney Hill leading up to and including the abduction night, uh, which was on the September 19th, 1961 itself, and what they remembered immediately following and the days following and months that uh, how the Hills ended up handling such a seemingly traumatic event. And you might be thinking to yourself, didn't we cover these two a while ago? Like I said, yes, we kind of did in the alien abduction kind of basics episode, but it was not the whole story. It was kind of just a highlights. Unlike some other people who claim to be abducted by ETs, looking back at the Hills prior to this night, nothing crazy seems to pop up. In fact, the Hills, by all accounts, were exceedingly normal, maybe even a little boring. The only strange thing about this couple at this time before the alien scenario was actually the fact that they were an interracial couple in the 60s. Barney Hill Jr. was born on July 20th, 1922. Very little is actually known about Barney's adult life, but what we do have indicated a typical life for this era. We know that in high school, Barney dropped out and became a store clerk and fell into Philadelphia. And as soon as he turned 18, like most young men did this time, he enlisted in the army where he qualified as a marksman and a truck driver. He served during World War II for nearly three years, where during this time he met his first wife. He and his wife, Ruby, quickly married and had their first child, a boy. His service in the war would come to an end, though, when an accident with a grenade caused Barney to lose all of his teeth, necessitating the need for dentures. This is going to be important in the future. What a wild, <laughs> yeah, uh, what, a, like, what, what a wild injury. Damn. Right? And this like lost all of his teeth. I actually tried to dig up like what the injury was, but no matter how hard I looked, I could not find it. It's wild to I me no because I just I've seen pictures of Barney Hill. Yeah, he's got good dentures. I mean, he just doesn't look like what did he try? I, look, I'm not trying to shame the guy. Like, I mean, but what in the hell happened that he blew all his teeth out? I don't, I don't know. Man. Maybe, maybe he's just chewing on a grenade. That I don't the, that's the know. first mystery of the goddamn show right there. <laughs> his discharge came on May 8th, 1944. 
and he quickly was able to grab a position with the USPS as a city carrier. And about four years after leaving the military, he would have his second son with his first wife. Much like Barney, Betty also married very young. Born as Eunice Elizabeth Barrett on January 28, 1919, Betty was born into a typical middle-class life for this time in the country. Much like Barney, Betty's childhood from all accounts was pretty normal. She had a loving family and grew up for a, a normal child for the time. Betty would meet her first husband, Bob Stewart, during her sophomore year of college after a long bout with an abdominal infection that prevented her from returning to school. Hmm. After she finally recouped from the illness, she was able to get a job at Rudy's Kitchen Farm, which is where she would end up crossing paths with Bob Stewart. And a few short years later, on June 7th, 1941, at the age of 22, Betty was married to her first husband. When Bob had met Betty, he had actually already been married and divorced once, and because of this, Betty was given custodial care of, her, of his three kids, uh, the three kids from Bob's first marriage. You see, Bob's first wife had gotten remarried, had given birth to twins, and as all mothers do, decided to unload, unload her older model children in favor of the newer model, so she dropped them off at Bob's mother's house. What? He was completely what? unable to take what? care of them, so they eventually ended up in Bob's care, which then ended up in Betty's care. What? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Isn't that insane? So Bob, her first husband, had already been married. He had three kids by his first wife. The ex-wife got remarried, had twins, and took the three original children, dropped them off at the first husband's mother's house, which then ended up going to Bob because the mother was too old to take care of them. So Betty ended up getting custodial care of these kids because they kind of shuffled their way into her into her life. This is like every episode of Snapped, like at the beginning. Like you're like... (laughs) Oh, she's the like the moment that they reveal something like this. You're like, they're the killer. I mean, in this case, <laughs> I'm sure we're not going to see her very much in this story, but no. Wow. Not at all. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. Uh, three years after that, though, at the age of 25, Betty ended up adopting them. She, she officially adopted the children. She would actually remain married to Bob for 14 years until Bob's quote unquote philandering ended their marriage. Wait, so what year? What year did they get married? Uh, oh God. Oh, you're asking. She was 20. She was born in 1919 and married in 22. So, uh, 1941, she got married. Wow. Damn. So how the, then, I, I am so interested to find out how these two came, ended up together then. Yeah. They, they already well, got they cr- five kids in the mix. Yeah. There's already five kids in the mix, but well, there's, well, Bob isn't part of this. He's going to see, he disappears. The three kids kind of don't hang around after that. So, but they were married for 14 years until Bob ended up cheating on her. And then they ended up getting a divorce with the divorce settlement. Betty bought herself a house and worked at the local department store until one day she was approached by an oil company. They wanted the land that she lived on and offered her a large sum of money. She actually initially declined and ended up negotiating for a sum of money, at least double the initial price offer with the help of a realtor who came on her side to help her out. Nice. God, let After this deal, happen this, to me, this all please. Leads, this, I promise this all leads to them meeting. <laughs> After the deal was struck, she wondered what they were going to do with the house, and they told her that they actually planned on demolishing it. So she offered them one dollar with the stipulation that she with and with the stipulation that she would move the house to another lot of land, and they accepted. So for a dollar, Betty bought her house back. And bought an empty plot of land not too far from where the original house was. And then she was. did one of those like things where they pick up the whole house and moved it. Yeah, yeah. She but but first she actually had to get so she they planned to move the house over, 
But while they got the land ready, they had to get um, utilities all set up, electricity run over there. Uh, she had nowhere to live. Uh, so while they got the, the, the land ready for the house to be moved, she would actually stay at a boarding house and return to college with the money she got from selling her house or get selling it, the land. Get it, girl? It was actually at the boarding house that she met Barney, who was still married at the time of them meeting. But only a year later, Barney would separate from his wife and, uh, and afterward would reach out to Betty, who he had befriended over that time, to then pursue a romantic relationship, which, of course, would prove to be difficult. So they met in the boarding house while she was waiting for her, her land to be ready, basically. Initially, Betty was actually studying to become a social worker and was doing field work in a home for delinquent girls in Philadelphia, which made the relationship with Barney easy because he was working in Philadelphia as the mail carrier. But after graduation, Betty moved back to her home in New Hampshire while Barney was still working as a postal worker in Philadelphia, turning a close relationship to one over 350 miles away and six plus hours of driving. Damn. Not only were they faced with long distance, but the prejudice they endured for being an interracial couple was always on the surface. But instead of collapsing under the strain, they pushed forward. And in March of 1960, Barney transferred his job from Philadelphia to Boston, where he would finally be able to propose and then marry Betty in May of 1960, moving in with her in New Hampshire. But it would still be 16 months before they would be able to even celebrate their wedding with a honeymoon. While they were now living together, transferring his job brought new problems. For one, he was now commuting from Portsmouth, New Hampshire to Boston every day. That was a 120-mile round trip, four hours in total. And moreover, the <coughs> position that they, only position that they had for him that they could offer him to move that far was a graveyard shift. So now Betty and Barney were on to total opposite sleep schedules, and the huge shift in his work brought on a bit of an adjustment period for the two of them. Barney was determined to have his honeymoon, though, and on September 15th, 1961, he requested a few days off so he could surprise Betty with a trip to Niagara Falls. And on the 17th, he, Betty, and their adorable dachshund, Delcy, packed up and went off on their impromptu honeymoon for a couple of days. They spent two days exploring Vermont, Niagara Falls, and Toronto while intending to book an overnight stay in Montreal on the 19th. Unfortunately... Barney ended up taking a wrong turn and got lost, skirting around Montreal instead. And instead of going back, Barney ended up deciding to drive home, as the city itself was stressing him out and all the signs were in French anyway, which is the reason he claimed to have gotten lost in the first place. Moreover, Hurricane Esther was, a, was purportedly going to make landfall at the Cape, and they wanted to beat it home to prepare the house just in case. That journey from Montreal to Portsmouth, New Hampshire should have been around five hours. Now on the road home, and unbeknownst to them, this sudden change of plans would change their lives forever. They were on their honeymoon? Yeah, they were on their way home from their honeymoon. Yeah, I had no idea about that part of it. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is phenomenal backstory. I had no clue. Yeah. The hills were heading home, driving south on Route 3, when something in the sky caught Betty's attention. At first, she thought it was a falling star, until it registered that this distant light was falling upwards. Then, having heard of satellites in the sky becoming more common, she assumed that's what she was seeing. But the assumption also got tossed out the window when the light stopped dead in its tracks in the sky and sat just below the moon. Just as soon as it stopped, it began moving again, its flight pattern now erratic, changing direction suddenly and without warning, ascending and descending throughout, and Betty urged Barney to pull over. She wanted to use the binoculars they had to see what this object was. 
Barney would pull over so she could get a better look, but the object was too far in the distance to get any detailed look at it. Throughout the drive, however, Betty continually urged and bugged Barney to pull over again and again and again so that she could keep getting out and looking at it. This started to piss Barney off, but Betty was fascinated with whatever she was seeing in the sky. So she was just constantly elbowing him like, pull over, pull over, and just like wanting to see it and trying to catch it as best she could. Eventually, they pulled over again and they took their dog for a walk as he was starting to get antsy. And of course, to get a better look at the thing as it stayed within view. From here, Barney states the following, quote, I went to the trunk of the car and opened it and took out a gun I had concealed there and I put it in my pocket. I did this because uh, he was, he did this because he was concerned about bears, he said. And then I said, give me the binoculars. And I looked and I could see that this thing that I thought was a plane had made a turn to the left toward Vermont and kept turning and started coming right back. As they describe the way it moves, Barney kind of describes it like a paddle ball saying, you hit the ball and the ball goes straight out and comes straight back without a circle. Betty then added, as it got closer, there seemed to be more of this jumping back and forth in the sky. So basically the way it's moving was just constantly straight line back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And as it got close, it kind of like wobbled. Without a clear idea to what this could be, Barney kept, that, uh, kept saying that it was likely a plane or perhaps multiple planes since they were seeing it was dipping below the tree line every so often or behind a mountain. They weren't sure if it was the same object. While Betty grew even more curious and excited the further along they went. While Barney was out looking at binoculars, Betty had seen the object fly by the moon and flicker a multitude of different colored lights. She was not convinced that it was a plane. While Barney could not explain what it was, he settled and told himself it was a Piper Cub coming along for a landing. Do you know what a Piper Cub is? Little tiny baby plane. Yep, it's just a tiny like by like a uh, rotor plane or whatever you want to call it. Yep, baby plane. People are so desperate to explain these things to themselves, and it's so it's so interesting. Well, this thing is is seemingly following them the whole ride. Them like they can they keep pulling over to get looks at it because it's like keeping pace with them for well, the, the most part. The reason why people are trying to be rational, like it's yeah. irrational to immediately be like UFO, like that's crazy. But everyone's going to be like, all right, what could this possibly be? Yeah, like the rational explanation is to think of like it's something. It's a piper an alien. It's a it's a piper cub exactly. Well, where I mean, where they live, you have to imagine there's a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah. No, he he even said he's used to seeing a, a bunch of them, and they are in the boonies, New Hampshire, out way I mean, out there in the woods, in like New Hampshire, up there, New that's, Hampshire. Yeah, that's all sorts of little tiny there. baby planes. Yeah. Are you Barney? Barney refused to believe it was anything other than a, a small plane, or maybe a helicopter, or some sort of military aerial aerial vehicle that he couldn't figure out. While Betty was much more enthusiastic about the site, curious as to what it was and why it continued to seemingly follow them. Eventually, however, as they approached the New Hampshire landmark, the man in the mountain, the erratic light in the sky disappeared. They continued to drive and it seemed to have vanished entirely. And they both chalked it up to a helicopter or a small plane, uh, Piper Cub plane, or maybe even a bizarrely acting satellite. The aliens were just like, holy shit, did you see that rock? That looked just like a dude's face. (laughs) Fuck these guys. Let's go look at that shit. Yeah, they just pit stop and just like staring at this mountain. Like, oh, my God, the old man of the mountain. (laughs) So Betty and Barney continued their drive, uh, hopeful that they were going to get home in time to beat the oncoming hurricane. And as the hills rounded the bend near Indian Head, Barney felt a bit of relief to be somewhere he recognized and knew. As they rounded the curve, suddenly the craft reappeared, revealing itself from Betty's right, swooping directly in front of the car, no more than 100 feet above their vehicle. Now, before I give you the description of what's going to happen, 
I'm going to actually play a short one minute clip from Barney's first hypnotherapy session where they actually attempt to broach the event for the first time after months of actual therapy and uh, hypnotherapy, uh, just practice hypnotherapy over the course of preparation for this. This is a, we'll chalum- talk a little bit about this hypnosis chalum- in the next like first right here, guys, get ready. I know. We're, we're going to talk more about hypnotherapy in detail in the next episode when it's kind of a more focus of the topic. Um, but we're going to give you a clip here because I wanted to give you an idea as to how this affected uh, Barney when it happened and how traumatic the whole thing was. Uh, trigger warning, he gets really, really upset. So just, just be ready. This is not going to be uh, super easy to listen to. That's the very first time the hypnotherapist attempted to broach what happened during that night. Uh, prior to that, what you don't hear is Barney in his uh, hypno- hypnotic kind of trance asking to be woken up. And the therapist says, no, you don't need to wake up. Nothing can hurt you here. Keep going. And that's what follows. Reminds me of that uh, clip that we listened to like long, long ago on the show uh, for the Pilliga Princess. You remember that? Has that same no. sort of like true fear regression. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and again, we'll be seeing hearing more clips in the second episode. That'd be the only clip we hear in the first episode. Uh, but just to give you an idea that this, this did not seem like something that he was enjoying. This is not something that he wanted to happen and that they were like living this up for some sort of mm. fame or whatever. It really, whatever happened, aliens or not, it definitely sure. seemed to traumatize the man one way or another. Right. So as the craft swooped in front of their car, staying slightly to the right of the highway, Barney immediately stopped the car. He still had the gun in his pocket from the earlier stop and patted it to be sure before stepping out with the binoculars once again. Quote, it was right there and hovering. I could not understand. He left the motor running as he stepped out, bracing his arm against the roof of the car as the object then moved again, hovering over some trees near an adjacent field. So with the binoculars around his neck and pistol in his pocket, Barney began walking toward the craft for a better look while Betty stayed with the car. The craft was much more visible now to both of them, but more so to Barney as he brought the binoculars to his eyes while he strode ever closer. What he saw was a classic cigar-shaped craft, somewhere around 80 feet long and flat like a pancake. While he walked toward the ship, on each end, two fin-like wings extended each side with a red light creating a W shape with the flatter disc in the center. In the center, a row of windows that he could actually see into lay across the narrow side of the disc. And what he saw was even more bizarre when he looked into them. Eleven figures were clearly visible through the window, all humanoid in shape and wearing some sort of bizarre gray uniform. 
Every one of them were looking down at him through the craft silently. As, Bar- as Barney got closer, they suddenly all turned to what, uh, to what looked to Barney like a panel of some sort. They began hustling about back and forth, fiddling with objects and fiddling with the monitor that they all turned to. One of them continued to turn and glance back to Barney as he grew closer, though, almost as though he was checking that he was still there. Confused and even scared, Barney continued anyway. Something from the center then began to descend, and the ship itself then tilted itself toward uh, Barney. He kept walking and realized at this point, it felt like something or someone was telling him to come closer. This confused and worried Barney, and he immediately blinked his eyes and told himself, this can't be real, shook his head, and turned away, hoping that this would just go away. But as he turned to see if it had, the ship was still looming. I'm going to quote Barney for what happened next. Quote, I shook my head and turned away and looked back and said, oh God, it's there. What is this thing? I tried to put my hand toward my gun and I could not put my hand there. I cannot understand why my hands keep going up with the binoculars. I was told to keep the binoculars up and keep looking up and keep coming closer. No harm would come to me. End quote. Can you imagine just like, because he, he like as, as you kind of read his experience, it's not like there was a physical voice in his head, but just like it felt like somebody was drawing him and to be unable to even reach for the one thing you brought for you for defense. I can't imagine what that is fucking awful. That is insanity. <laughs> it was then that he was able to snap from whatever was happening, dropped his binoculars and turned and began to run screaming that they were going to be captured, that they were going to capture them. He did not know why they wanted to capture them, only that it was what that they wanted to do. Meanwhile, at the car, Betty waited patiently, looking at the front and back windows for oncoming carbs, hoping somebody would come by to be able to see what that they were seeing. But not a single car did. It was in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, after all, and it was well past nightfall. Barney returned from that little adventure not five minutes later, and when Betty saw him, she shouted, Barney, come back here! Barney, you damn fool, get back here! Barney threw the door open, tossed the binoculars on the front seat while sobbing, shouting at Betty that they needed to get the hell out of here, that they were going to be captured if they don't. And as he began to take off in the car, the ship once again swooped overhead, this time directly above the vehicle. Barney shifted into first gear and tore off as fast as he could. Betty opened the window as they drove and stuck her head and shoulders out to try and keep a location on the craft, but could see nothing. Only uh, some searching later did she realize that it was always overhead and it was keeping perfect pace with them. Realizing this, she quickly slipped back into the car and rolled the window up. Soon, the, the car began to vibrate with a rhythmic buzzing tone as they sped down the driveway. The best way I can describe this is like, turn your phone into an industrial side, bu- and like a car size buzzer and lay it on your car. That's how they describe it. Like the whole car was buzzing with like this rhythmic constant tone. Uh, attempting to lose whatever was with them, Barney then made a random turn off of Route 3 onto a smaller road. They drove until they came across a small roadblock with some weird, large, fiery orb on the ground nearby, where they were forced to stop briefly before being allowed through. They continued through Concord, picked up Route 4, and made a straight line to Portsmouth back home. When they finally arrived back home, they believed they made it home in time, just after 3 a.m., as expected but were more than surprised to see the sun begin to rise as they did make it home. It was actually five o'clock in the morning. A two full hours had suddenly upped and vanished and neither could piece together why. They each went inside, leaving their personal things in the porch and took a shower before going to bed 
determined to worry about it in the morning after a stressful and scary ride home. The next morning, after they awoke, they realized things were a little off. For some reason, Barney's pant leg was completely covered in plant matter, while the top of his dress shoes were scuffed as if they'd been dragged. The leather strap to the binoculars had been completely snapped, and Betty's new blue dress was torn. When they checked their wind-up watches, and remember, this is the 60s, everybody's got a wind-up watch, they realized that the watches stopped. Assuming that they both maybe needed to be wound back up, they did so, only to no avail. The watches were just suddenly both broken. They tried to think of something that would have caused all this, but could think of nothing. They both very much remembered being chased by a strange craft, but eventually they believed to have lost it and made it home. Barney refused to speak about the craft initially and purposed that they both go into separate rooms, or proposed rather, they both go into separate rooms and each of them draw the craft before they discuss it, as he was convinced that maybe they hallucinated or imagined something and if they both drew different things, then this would put his mind at ease. Is this the drawing when, that's like popular? This is Barney's drawing. Yeah, you can see Barney's drawing. The one that's like um, in every story about them. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Uh, just basically a disc and then a little wing W wings that come up where the lights are. Do you know if their clocks stopped at the same time? Uh, it's it, they, Yeah, it was all or it stopped at the same time. Like the, it's basically stopped somewhere along their ride home and they don't know when. And But both of the both of them are stopped at the same. Yeah. yeah. When, those details will come up next episode. I see, I see, I see, I see. Um, but when they both came out of the room to compare their drawings, unfortunately for him, they were both incredibly similar. It's at this point that Barney actually wanted to drop the entire thing. He wanted to keep the whole thing to themselves and never to speak of it again, worrying it would ruin their reputations and future job prospects. This was the 60s, and again, their relationship had already brought tensions to their lives Barney did not want anything more that people could put on them, and whatever had happened that night before had clearly shaken him. But Betty fully disagreed and felt like she needed to reach out to someone, so she reached out to her sister to discuss what they'd seen. She told her sister, Janet, the story, con- uh, the story concerned, uh, but curious... Try that again. She told her sister, Janet, and the story, but was curious to what uh, she thought, and Janet suggested that she could reach out to a few of her friends to see what she could find out about what uh, Betty saw. So who Janet called right away was actually her neighbor friend, whose husband was a physicist at the time, describing the situation that they went through. At the notion of the car being buzzed on, the physicist suggested that they take a compass out to the vehicle and place it around different spots on the car as an experiment. Alongside that. Yeah. uh, For magnetism? Yeah, correct. Like weird. Okay. All right. We'll get to it. Uh, alongside that, Janet's family friend, who was the former police ch- uh, chief of police in Newton, stopped by. She also told him of the story, and he advised that all UFO sightings should be immediately reported to Pease Air Force Base. Afterward, Janet called Betty back and advised her on both of those recommendations, and Betty, curious as she was, grabbed a compass and in the rains of Hurricane Esther, performed the experiment. The first thing that she noticed on her 57 Chevy as she went out was that the car now had several highly polished, shined spots on its trunk. They were very clearly visible in the rain as the rain was reacting weirdly on them and rolling away as though kind of like a duck, uh, water on a duck's back situation. On all parts of the car, the compass acted normal. However, in, this, in the highly polished spots, the needle would circle uncontrollably. It wasn't just Betty who saw this either. She beckoned out Barney and the other house tenants. They actually boarded two other married couples in the home that she had. And they all experimented and played with the compass, getting the same exact results. 
Betty quickly called Janet back, telling her she needed to come over and see this. And the next day, Janet did, along with her three children, one of them being Kathy, who was a co-author of the main source book that we're using. Janet told the children to go inside, worried it might be radioactive. Betty did call the 100th bomb wing at Pease Air Force Base, as well as where, uh, as well, where she ended up describing the craft. But Barney chose to omit seeing the humanoid figures at the time of the reporting, worried he'd be seen as a crackpot. Later in the day, Major Paul Henderson called them back, questioning them each intensely and extensively. Betty said that he was particularly interested in the wing-like structures that extended from the vehicle, but Barney noted that he did not sound the least bit surprised by the report. The major then called back again later, asking if the Hills would mind being put through to somewhere else on, uh, with a call to someone else as well, and to have that call monitored. They agreed and maintained until they both died that they both have no idea who they were reporting to and where they were reporting the sighting to when the major connected them to somebody else. What the my hell? Guess, my guess is Project Blue Book. They were probably talking to somebody that was working Project Blue Book at the time. Project Blue Book was happening at this time. It was a very big secret. If this is a UFO and they were taking it seriously, I'm my 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 kind of dark stab is they were reporting to somebody at Project Blue Book. My 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 uh, my guess is that the good guys dressed in black remember that just in case you ever face to face and make contact. The title held by me and my B means what you think you saw you did not see. Here come the man. Yeah, it was so <laughs> cool you, that they got the that. alien from the movie to come do some singing on the track. Ah, uh, let me say, I'll say it again. I thought the alien in the movie could sing, and when it didn't, I was real disappointed. <laughs> real disappointed. I feel like the men in black would have been good for the situation. I feel like that's it could be them that he, that he was talking to. It's, it's possible. It's very possible. If, they, if he lost his memory of who it was, or maybe he just like, you know, you have a conversation with someone on the phone. You don't know what it is. You know, maybe that's the effect yeah. of talking to the men in black on the phone. Maybe they're just like <laughs> super like energy vampire. -y. Super energy vampire. -y. Well, we're about to move into what follows in the next few days. But what do you guys think of the story as it as it stands? Just knowing the base story before we dive into any any type of hip, uh, hypnosis stuff. Weirdly, is this, is this a story as you knew it so far? I mean, that's I, more where I'm curious. I've learned more about it already than I did before. I just knew about the pancake cigar spaceship. And the, yeah. I remember the thing about the little heads being visible inside. That's like a mm -hmm. de detail yeah. that sticks out I to think me. Most, yeah. I think most people know the event and enough about these people to know the aftermath, but no yeah. one really goes into like, who were these people before? Which I think yeah. says a lot about them as characters, air quotes in this story. The, the only takeaway I have that I think, you know, I have thoughts on this as I always do, but I, I would say this is an incredibly credible example of trauma. Yes. Something clearly happened to them. We're like a thing happened. Couldn't tell you what it was. I, I, and I have like, I have lots of thoughts on a million things. It could sure. be, but like, I, it's clear that something happened. Agreed. Because they like, they went through a trauma of some sort. I just don't, I couldn't tell you what it was. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I just, you'll never, you never know. And, and again, the, the, it's it, 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 when you go into the UFO world, it's interesting to look at their case, like a, like a comparison to other cases in the future, especially because if you believe that these are true, like non-psychic physical aliens that come from outer space and stuff, why 
Why is there so many similarities to the abduction cases, but there's such bizarre differences as well? Well, because when you hear their full abduction story, you're going to think of the typical abduction scenario. You're going to see the similarities, but you're going to see shit that just doesn't make any sense either. Yeah. I mean, I think this, you know, it almost works against this story as its own standalone because it's kind of the first, right? Like it's kind of the first yeah, yeah. like template, first. let's say, for this sort of story that we've seen a million of since then. And I wish that, I wish that there was a way that we, you know, it's not within our capabilities as a podcast of three dudes here sitting and talking about it, but I would love for like a movie company or like the people that did the OJ Simpson show with, with Cuba Gooding Jr. I would love for somebody like that to like, look at this case, break it down, cast everybody as good ass actors and do something really accurate to what actually happened here to sort of separate it. From I don't, all those things that come after it, I because don't know I feel how like that's the worst. But I there's mean, a James Earl Jones version of this that exists. Are you serious? I'm telling you, there is. I've seen it. There is. You are. There is. A, there is a movie that was based. I don't know off who the this, actress but is, but James Earl Jones is Barney for sure. I've seen it. Couldn't tell you how old it is. I would imagine the 70s? Question mark. God, so I don't know how accurate it is. I I'm trying to remember because I, I remember reading about I've it. Definitely briefly, but it seen wasn't it on like a Saturday when I was a kid, and they would play like old reruns of like old shows. I'm that's pretty sure. Be old. It I mean, that's got to be old, old. Yeah, 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 for sure. Let's find out. Let's find out. Any, the UFO incident, 1975. 75. When did it happen? Uh, James Earl Jones is Barney Hill. There you go. Estelle Parsons is Betty Hill. Not even there, 15 years later. That? 75. James Earl Jones was looking great. That's pre Vader on it. I can see the, the I can see the poster for it and it's real bad. <laughs> oh, there's the a UFO there's a uh, Rotten Tomatoes for it. There's got to oh, be a good archive.org on it. Yo, the uh, wow, the the image that stands out the most is James. It's it's the two actors, James Earl Jones leading and then a bunch of dudes who look like I'm going to be real. They look like uh, they are in some sort of techno band. Like they're definitely. <laughs> what? <laughs> Alex, look, hold on. Open image. Uh, yeah, open. It looks like. Just look at this. This is amazing. What are you talking about? Yeah, where are you sending this? I got this screenshot is from oh, the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like on a blue screen. It's like when you go on like Ed Sullivan show. And they make like a fake set for you to like do your bid on or like the Muppet show does yeah. like a dance number. And they're just like, oh, it's in like a blue ass place. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I know what part they're doing here, which is interesting, but um, it's yeah, just like they're I surrounded by a million Daft Punks is what I'm saying. That makes That's me that like, makes yeah. me hype. Like I, I would <laughs> love for them to do like a like the Lacey Peterson TV movie level thing on this, where we go deep into all of it because right. I feel like the fact that this is so it's probably not the first story like this that you've heard as like a layman, as a layperson who's listening to this, you know, like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's rare that people actually hear of the Betty Barney Hill story before they hear of any other abduction story in the media. Mm -hmm. And I would just really be interested in a way for people to separate this from that because it's really before that you know what i mean well, the, i agree one yeah. of the best reasons at least in my mind why this story stands out compared to all the other besides it being like the first big one there's like and i don't want to say an honesty to it like it feels too but like there's 
there's something about it where even in the descriptors, there are flaws. There are things that are like a little weird that don't make sense. And unlike other stories that seem rehearsed, like it's very right. obvious there are things in this. You're like, wait, what? The zipper was like the alien zipper was stuck. Like there's there's <laughs> weird there's, there's weird story elements that you're like, wait, yeah. what? We, we will we will get to <laughs> that the next episode. Talking about? <laughs> Though he's, he's the best part is I know what Jesse's talking about. It's like, so we're gonna weird. get to that. That's what I'm saying. Like things. This is what I'm when I'm when you compared abduction scenarios. There's weird little things that happen that don't make any sense. And when we talk in detail about what happened during their abduction scenario, there's just they're, they're, the aliens are weird. They're little weirdos. They're little strange. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's great. It, it's it's like the aliens have a personality instead of being like, we are gray yes. robots. Right. Like, it's so strange that it almost feels like I can understand how someone could hear this and then be like, oh, this could also just be like the government kidnapped them, too, because it's very human. Right. Like these beings are very human and what they're doing the, the things they're doing are not like beep boop beep we don't understand how to move right or they're like i'm talking to your brainium right they're actually it's it feels like what? this is a real story <laughs> don't look it up alex wait the, till next week I'm it's kind do of what like you do us and just don't look it up it's kind of when we read up. stories on the forums and don't, don't there is telepathic communication in this story, sure, by sure. the way, but, but it's, it's like when we read stories in the forums, some stories are just told well. And this is a story that with all the things in it, it's told very well and not like a, I am telling you a story and hitting all the notes that you want to hear. And this yeah. is total BS. Like it just feels like they don't know what the hell happened. They're trying to explain it, which is genuinely they, fun. Right. Well, I think what comes to it too, and it's kind of the basis of hypnotherapy as well is whatever happened, they truly believe that what happened to them was traumatic and it was. And what they truly, just because it may not have been aliens, they truly, truly believed it was. And that's their truth. And that like that stuck with them forever. Yeah. They're not like some fucking hoaxers. They weren't making up a story. They were, it's their personal truth. There's there's a great, uh, I don't know if this is something to do next episode, but I'll say it now. And that people moving forward, when they hear all the stuff you're going to play for them, and all this stuff, they'll have oh, it yeah. on their mind. There's a great scientific American article from a while ago that is about like traumatic memory. And they even include Betty and Barney Hill in it, where they talk about like, you know what they, what was brought up to them was something traumatic happening. And they say that um, your normal, like, being aware memory it's you know memory is pooling like your brain is like a sense or a smell and then you pull on that one thing and it pulls everything else with it right like you're yep. suddenly right back there you have the memory it reconstructs it all yeah and a traumatic memory is like that is not the case it is jumbled and you're trying to make sense of like a thing that happened and you're triggered by things that like it comes out of nowhere and mm-hmm. you recover your memory in bits and pieces and it's some uh, animal shit like it's yeah, yeah. like you, yeah. you, you you simply it makes no sense to you. you it's it's like if you pulled on that smell right like uh you know we all can think of like grandma baking cookies or mm-hmm. we can think of like being in a forest and the smell or like uh the smell of you know, when it's just about to rain, like whatever the case may be. And imagine if you pulled on that thread in your brain and instead of it being like, ah, oh, the smell of rain and I know rain's going to come. And I, instead of any of that, it's literally just like, ah, oh, the smell of rain. And then you see weird flashes and like figures yep. that make it like, that's what it's like. And so they said that one of the things that they talked about with the Hills afterwards, and I pulled this quote, cause I think it's fascinating. 
Um, so uh, it was said that this is like a jigsaw puzzle in your head and you can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it's all bits and pieces. So when Barney Hill heard the playback of the tapes that, we, you know, one of the ones that you just played, um, he said, I felt so overwhelmed and relieved parts of my life that were missing have been added to again. Parts of my life were being put back together. So basically hearing himself it put this story of an abduction sort of like he's like, oh, I I now those things in my head make have sense context. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why people are like, well, maybe the UFO story and, and the article goes on to a bunch of other things. But like maybe the UFO story is like something else. But because he heard himself say it under hypnosis. He's like, well, that must be what it was. And now I'm at ease because I have an explanation. I can see that. And so, I can see that because like, who knows? We will never have objective truth about what happened in this scenario. We just can't. It's Mm -hmm. impossible. So the fact that they found their piece is what, you know, obviously the most really matters. Yeah. He's like, this makes sense to me. That must be what. And and, but that doesn't explain the hypnosis or anything like that. It's just like, no, he heard what he said. He clearly didn't remember anything he said under hypnosis. He heard Mm -hmm. what he said and he was like. Holy crap, that makes sense to me. And that's, I mean, if I heard myself under hypnosis say some shit and I was like, oh, whoa, if it like <laughs> rang true as me, true to me, you couldn't convince me otherwise. I would be right. like, yeah, no, that, that shit definitely happened. Yo, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's nuts. And like I said, they did months of prep work with hypnotherapy. It's not like they jumped right into the trauma. Sure. Uh, a lot of the prep work they did, again, we'll talk about next episode, but a lot of the prep work they did is like having him recall past events of his life through through hypnosis and then comparing it with his active memories yeah. and that kind of thing to see if he was a good candidate for it. Because that was another thing, too, is like not everybody out there is a good candidate for hypnotherapy. Some people just it just doesn't like you can't be hypnotized. You're not suggestible. I mean, hypnotherapy um, in general, there's a lot of like, why is everyone it's a gray area for sure? Like, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a super gray area. Yeah. yeah well, again, yeah, we'll, de- we'll again uh, topic for next episode. Anyway, we'll push onward. Mm-hmm. So after all that, <clears throat> Major Henderson actually have ended up calling back again for a third time. And he said he'd been up the whole night preparing the report and needed a few more details. Betty observed that he was taking it very seriously and inferred that the Air Force was aware of UFOs. Henderson officially reported the incident to Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book would later decide that the sighting had all the characteristics of an advertising searchlight that was used to attract uh, attention for events mounted on a ground mobile uh, mobile unit that sends spikes of light miles into the air. What? However, it, that doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. And a lot of Project Blue Book's con, uh, conclusions is kind of bullshit stuff. Um, but th- it doesn't make any sense because they were in a sparsely populated area of New Hampshire in the middle of the night at like midnight. What was being advertised in the middle of the woods in New Hampshire around Indian Head Bend? Like, and, and that and, time? Of, at that time and the movements that it was making? That and year? Shit like, it's just yeah. a lot of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Betty then headed out to the Portsmouth Public Library and checked out the book, The Flying Saucer Conspiracy by Major Donald Kehoe, which would serve as an introduction to UFOs for Betty and Barney. It was actually around this time that Betty began to have horrible nightmares. Another trauma response from the brain. What is is the book called again? Sorry. Uh, It is called The Flying Saucer Conspiracy by Major Donald Kehoe. All right. I remember yeah, the nightmares it. is like part of this too. In, in yes, my- it's actually, it will, again, something we'll talk about the, the, the theory that Barney heard her nightmares in the middle of the night and adopted them into his mind. And that's why he was seeing and having horrific things happen. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So another, it's another weird theory that we'll cover in the future. 
Um, it was around. So yeah, it was around this time that Betty began having her horrible nightmares about the event on the night of the 19th, which is a kind of typical trauma response for somebody who gone through things because the body's always going to work through trauma. Whether you bury it or not, your body's going to find a way to work through it. They were sequential and seemed to be the events following her missing time until her memories returned two hours later. On, on the 17th of October, 1961, the Hills were informed that Donald Kehoe and Walter Webb, who was a prominent member of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, the NICAP, would, pers- would be pursuing a formal investigation into their sighting. Four days later, Webb began his investigation in the Hills' home, where he interviewed them individually and together over a period of six hours. Less than a week later, he wrote an excerpt in a confidential report to NICAP titled, A Dramatic UFO Encounter in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, September 19th, 20th, 1961. This report came to the attention of Robert Homan and C.D. Jackson when they joined Kehoe for lunch. In November, Homan sent a letter to the Hills requesting an interview, and it was granted. Homan and Jackson visited later that year, and the Hills thought that they might finally get some answers. Unfortunately for them, the five-hour exhaustive interview left the Hills with even more questions than answers. Over the, so over the course of months, they keep being kind of led by the nose by these people, only to, for them to kind of be pulling information out of them, but leaving them with nothing. However, following this interview, Barney and Betty began to remember bits and pieces of their missing time, likely due to having to think about the incident so often and in such detail with the people interviewing them. Holman and Jackson also asked questions about how Delcy, the dachshund, reacted. It was revealed she had developed an epidermal fun- a fungus infection, and Betty recalled she had not bathed Delcy after the incident. Whether the two are actually connected, it's unknown, but just an interesting note. Also presented at this meeting was Major James McDonald, a, pres- a friend of Barney's from Pease Air Force Base, who was the first to suggest the Hills consider hypnosis. Holman, Jackson, and McDonald suggested the Hills go back to the site of the incident to try and jog their memories as well. Maybe that'll help them along their path. Betty recalled that after Holman and Jackson visited, there was a strange occurrence in the home. Now, this is a weird one. After one of their jaunts out to the site of the incident, the Hills came home to find a pile of dried leaves piled onto their kitchen table. What? Naturally, they checked the doors, but they were all locked and unharmed. So the Hills began to dispose of the leaves, and when they did, they discovered one of Betty's earrings. The earring had been missing since the incident and matched the blue dress that they had found ripped the following morning after the incident. Was there a BBC Two computer on or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> she just started thinking at it and yeah. started transcribing her. So yeah, they literally walked into their house after they went out to go look at this, try and jog their memory. There's a fucking pile of leaves and an earring. Like the aliens came in like, oh, we forgot to return the earring. That Quick, is such a, st- that is such a strange detail. Like, it's just like, it's so weird. Cause I'm just like, do the aliens think, well, maybe if we just pile some leaves, they'll think they'll have just found it. Like it just kind of appeared. Like I don't, the, the logic doesn't make any damn sense. Sometime during this year, soon after the incident, Though an exact date is actually unknown, this is when Barney began to experience physical problems uh, on his body. He start, the first thing he noticed was a concentric, a concentric ring of wart-like growths around his dick. Oh, the poor bastard. Welcome back to the show. We're back. <laughs> Over the following months, the comp- compound of his lengthy commute and anxiety following the incident, Barney's health began to take a big old downturn. He suffered from headaches, insomnia, high blood pressure, and an ulcer that would not respond to traditional 
treatment. In March of 1962, Betty and Barney requested an appointment with Dr. Patrick Quirk, a psychiatrist. I love that name, Patrick Quirk. They went to an appointment, but Dr. Quirk did not attempt hypnosis and said the pair should just wait and see what they would remember without hypnosis. And in November 1962, at a social dinner, the Hills met Ben Sweat, an amateur hypnotist. They asked if he would hypnotize them, but he refused, fearing his lack of experience would do more harm than good. However, he suggested that they find someone who specialized in the treatment. And in 1963, they would find that particular person and begin their journey toward recovering the memories of what happened in those two hours on their drive home from their impromptu honeymoon. And that's where we'll pick back up next week for, next week for part two and the finale of the Betty and Barney Hill case. I feel like I'm invested now. Like, I want to help them work through their... <laughs> issues you know what i mean like i wish yeah, i could they're clearly yeah like they're clearly getting desperate by this point like they've been a- having a bunch of people interview them from the government constantly being kind of led by the nose forced to repeat it barney consistently saying he never wants to talk about it again and now they're kind of like left in the situation about a year later where they're just like okay what about maybe maybe we can do a hypnotherapist maybe this will help because nothing else is helping us and this is still plaguing us all the while their story is starting to circulate all through the small town because you know, people are reaching out to other people who are reaching out to other people and trying to find information. But at the same time, obviously the rumor of their story continues to grow. So I hope that was a fun part one for the Betty and Barney Hill boys. Uh, I am so excited for part two, but uh, that's it. That's where we're going to leave this off. I'm so glad we're talking on. about this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're covering it because like since the alien abduction kind of basics one, this has been like the next on the docket. This is again, like you said, as soon as you do Area 51, this is like the next the next level you need to go into. Yeah. Um, but on that, we're going to leave you. We've got a mini to go record. Uh, but if you guys enjoyed it and you guys head over, you know, the, when by the time this goes live, which is, I believe, on the 12th, two days later, we're going to have new stuff on the Yeti store. So head over to the Yeti.com slash collection slash Illuminati. We've got a new long sleeve T-shirt going live. We've got a new pin coming out in the, uh, alongside it as well. It is super sick. And uh, teaser um, uh, in the mini sode for today, uh, I'm going to tell you something you probably didn't know about Prince Philip. Rest in peace. Ooh, and I'm going to talk more about UFOs in uh, in the mini sode. So I'm going to post something way. from from the forum. So we're not post <laughs> talk about <laughs> talk about. Perfect. I saw something. I was Thank like, you guys oh so my much God. for listening. <laughs> Drop us a review if wherever you're listening helps us out a great deal, and we will see you all next week. Goodbye. Peace. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside, and after a few moments, I hear my wife go, Holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside, and she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.